join me in prayer. Gracious God, this morning we pray that uh, these words that I speak will not just be human words, but Lord, they will be words that are, first of all, true to your word, to the word. They will be words that are taken by your Holy Spirit empowered to our hearts and lives to bring about transformation for the glory of Jesus Christ. For that is the purpose for which you have called us. And prayerfully, prayerfully I pray that that would be the desire of our hearts this morning, that all that we do would be done to bring glory to Christ. Amen. Well, some of you may have even uh, gone in your Christmas shopping to places like uh, Kurong, which is a uh, local, well, I shouldn't say a local Christian bookstore. You've got to travel uh, halfway across town or up the coast to be able to go to uh, a place like that. Some of you may even do shopping online these days. But if you go to Christian bookshops, particularly like Kurong, or I think uh, Word, it used to be around, you would literally find dozens of books on the shelf on the subject of how to live what's called the victorious Christian life. You'll find books about three steps, four ways, five secrets and seven ideas as to how you can put into practice things that will help you to live that better Christian, as a better Christian. In fact, many of the popular preachers today with radio ministries or podcasts and things like that, they often speak on this subject and the reason they do is because there seems to be a great desire and a great hunger in the lives of of followers of Jesus today to learn more about how they can live for him and please him and to live that life which which, which actually um, is um, what we would consider to be a successful Christian life, if you like. I think the reason that we have, or so many of us have, that kind of hunger is because of the fact that when it comes down to it, many believers live spiritually defeated lives. We live exactly the opposite. In fact, you know, as uh, talking to uh, many people, you know, as as a pastor today, you hear stories of, of people who are struggling from day to day with the same kind of sins. They struggle with, you know, with living the life which, you know, they, they, they know they should live to please God. And it weighs down on them heavily. They want to please God and yet they know that the way in which they do live is is probably far from that. Perhaps that's your experience here this morning as you sit here in these seats. Maybe that's the struggles that you have today when it comes to living out your faith and living lives that please God. If it is, if today is, you you do find yourself struggling like that, then I pray that this message this morning, and particularly from this wonderful passage in Romans 6, you'll find that that God wants to offer us hope. 
God wants to speak into our hearts and lives today to say that there is indeed hope for us who struggle in this way. If you're like me, you can sometimes think, you know, when you're struggling with sin, you know, is there something wrong with me? <laughs> because I struggle so much. Have I missed something when it comes to the Christian life? Many Christians have just convinced themselves that, well, I guess this must just be the normal Christian experience. It doesn't get any better than this. And so I've just got to make the most of it. I've just got to make the best of it and just, you know, fumble my way through and and just struggle my way through day after day after day. Lacking that joy that comes from knowing Jesus and from knowing that God loves you and wants you to thrive in your relationship with him. So many, people, so many Christians have struggled so much that they've become disillusioned to the point where they've just given up on the Christian faith. Perhaps some of you may even know people like that today in your own experience. I think when it comes down to it, there is a deep yearning in all of our hearts to actually want to live a life of faith that is vibrant, that is joyful, that is meaningful and which brings so much pleasure to us as followers of Jesus Christ. But we're just not sure how. And as I said, for some of us, we're not sure even if it's possible. Well, today I believe that Romans 6, this passage we're going to be looking at, actually explains to us how we can do that. This chapter, Paul, begins with a question. If you've got your Bibles there, you might want to turn with me to Romans 6, verse 1. Paul starts off with a question in this passage and he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound or increase? It's a bit of a funny way to start a chapter, isn't it? Because what we've got to remember is that the chapters and the verse numbers were actually later, later additions to the word of God. That Paul is just continuing on in, this, in the, the same kind of, of track and the same kind of thought that he was you know, in, in, in the previous uh, parts of the, of, the, of the letter that he's been writing. So if you were here last week, you'll probably be able to uh, sort of pick up a little bit on that. But if you weren't, you can get the, uh, the recording of it. Either you know, can download it on the, uh, on the website later on or you can even uh, put your name down at the back there and actually get a CD to listen to. But yeah, it does seem a strange way for Paul to start this chapter. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may, may increase? You know, in the first part of this letter, Paul's been explaining to, or he's been trying to sort of lay out this argument, if you like, really sort of trying to, to make clear that every single person who has ever lived is, 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 is guilty before God and under his condemnation and judgment because of our sin. That every single human being who has ever lived and whoever will live begins their lives under this this threat of sin and death, under this reign of sin and death. You might remember that from last week if you were here.
And so the first three and a bit, you know, the first or two and a three, yeah, the first three and a half chapters of, of Romans is Paul's laying out this argument, and it's and it's just this this spiral downwards to this hopeless kind of situation that we all find ourselves in. But at Romans three twenty one, he actually sort of starts a new kind of a thought, and he says, you know, this is where we find ourselves. But wait, there's good news. Because he says, for those who, who actually put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as, as their Lord and Saviour, then, then they can be actually removed, taken out of that sinful, um, that, that place where sin and death reigns over their lives and be brought into a new life in Jesus Christ. That we can have hope, that we can have, we can be justified by faith, which is this, this wonderful doctrine that we find here in, in, in Paul's letter to the Romans, that we can actually be made right with God. We no longer have to fear him, fear his judgment or his condemnation because Jesus is the one who's paid for all of our sins. He's paid our sin debt before God and we can stand before God guiltless and with a freedom and with a joy that comes from knowing that God isn't going to look at us and, and and condemn us and judge us for that. But Paul makes clear that it is that a person only is able to experience this salvation in Jesus, this new freedom in Jesus Christ, only by only through faith in him. Only by putting their trust in him. There is nothing that we can contribute to our own salvation. As we saw last week, we saw that, you know, that, that God's grace, that, that God's grace shown to us through Jesus Christ is more powerful than sin and death, the, the reign of sin and death in our world and over human beings. It is more powerful than that. And that, so that as we put our trust in Him, we are taken out of, uh, you know, under, under this reign of sin and death and brought into a, under the reign of Jesus Christ, who is a good and wonderful and caring and loving God. Whereas the, this reign of sin and death is, 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 is destructive and, and, uh, and, and it's like a, a, a vicious slave master to us. And Paul says this salvation is entirely because of what Jesus has accomplished through his death and resurrection. And there is nothing that we can contribute to that. And at the end of chapter 5, Paul makes the assertion that where sin increased... That grace or the grace of God increased all the more. Now, if you're processing that as a person perhaps hearing that for the first time, then there can be a logical progression to that. If God's grace, if sin increases and God's grace is increased because of that increase in sin, and we see a greater display of God's glory through that, then, of course, the natural question to ask is, well, well, shouldn't we just go on sinning then so that God's grace can be even greater and God can get even greater glory? That's why Paul starts this section with that question. Because that's the question that's going through some people's minds. They're thinking that, you know, that if, that if we're no longer under law but under grace, then we can live as we please because God's grace means that he'll forgive us anyway. And can I say, folks, that if we actually preach the gospel properly and accurately, that's actually the kind of response we should automatically get. 
because it's nothing about us. It's nothing about what we can contribute to, uh, to God's work of salvation because there's nothing that we can do so. Now, to some of us, that might sound pretty silly, but you know that, that, that we should go on sinning that God's grace could, 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 can, you know, can increase and, be, and give God greater glory through that. Some of us see that as pretty, pretty crazy. But there are Christians today who kind of live their lives from that perspective. There's a theological word for them. It's called antinomians. People who are actually um, who deny the law. They think no longer we don't have to worry about the law anymore. We're all under grace, so let's just live lives however we please, and God's grace will just continue to be poured out, among, you know, poured out on us. They've convinced themselves that because of their sinful nature, they cannot help but sin. So why even try to resist it or fight against it? On the other hand, there are also Christians today who live as though sin isn't particularly serious. We fooled ourselves into believing that because, love, because God loves the sinner, that somehow he excuses our sinful behaviour. God sees sin as being incredibly serious. So serious, in fact, that he would have to die on a cross in order to deal with it and in order to rescue us from it. reading an article this week and uh, one of the things which, uh, which really stood out to me in that article was just one sentence and it says that unfortunately today as Christians living in western culture, western society where things are so easy, we take this book called the Bible and we think that all it does is offer us good advice and that's how we treat it as some kind of self-help book But the fact of the matter is is that the Bible isn't just some self-help book. It doesn't just contain good advice. The claims of the Word of God are assertive, authoritative claims on our lives. God isn't in the business of just trying to make our lives better. First of all, God wants our submission and our surrender to him utterly and completely. And the reason he wants that, first of all, is because he alone is worthy of that as God and as the one who created all of us. But most of all, because he knows that when we surrender to him, when we submit to him, and when we actually follow him the way that he calls us to, that it is for our good. For those who think that 
We don't need to worry about sin because, you know, God loves the sinner anyway. It's okay. He'll, he'll, he'll turn a blind eye to our sin. Or for those who think that, you know, it really doesn't matter that we sin because God's grace is even greater than that, that we can just continue to go on in our sin. God says, well, through, God says through the Apostle Paul that we really haven't grasped the real truth of the gospel and the fact that in the gospel and through faith in Jesus Christ, we become different people. We're no longer slaves to sin and fear and doubt and death but instead we're children of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. And this is what Paul wants to make clear in this passage in Romans and if there's just one one thing that you get today out of this passage let it be this that if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Saviour, that you today are a child of the living God. You are a child of the King, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are a child of the Creator of the universe. So Paul says, in response to the question, shall we go on continuing in sin? Paul says, absolutely not. By no means, he says, you know, God forbid that we should continue on in living lives that are patterned by sin. And the reason he gives is because, if you look in verse 2, he says, By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who have died to sin still live in it? The reason Paul says that we should not go on sinning is because of the fact that we have died to sin. You as a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, have already died to sin. Do you notice the tense of that word died? Is God saying, I want you to die to sin? Even though he, yes, he does, but he, that's not the case in this, in this passage. He says, no, he doesn't want you to die to sin. He says, you've already died to sin. It's past tense. It is something that has already happened. It is something that has already taken place. It is a spiritual reality for the people of God. We have already died to sin. Now you might say, well, that's great. But what does it actually mean? What does it mean we've died to sin? Well, it means this. 
It means that for the believer, they have been set free from the ruling power of sin and death in our lives. We have been set free from the ruling power of sin in our lives. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says this, for one, for one who has died has been set free from sin. You know, prior to coming to faith in Jesus Christ, prior to our salvation, prior to our conversion, all of us, as I was saying before, we were all under the rule and power and authority of sin and death in our world. In fact, sin controlled us so much that we were unable to do anything about it. We were unable to resist it. We were unable to resist its power in our lives. Paul says in Ephesians 2, But as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. We were completely powerless. Think about it in the, in the context of a person who is a slave and that person is owned by another individual. That individ- As a slave, we have no rights. We have to do exactly what that sl- our slave master tells us to or all we can expect is a beating and punishment and that sort of thing. Now, living lives of freedom today, we, we, we really find it hard to grasp what it would be like actually living as a slave. But sin and death are cruel and harsh taskmasters. And there is no let up for us. We are powerless and we are hopeless to do anything about it. We are hopeless and powerless even to resist sin and death. But in Christ, we have been set free. Sin and death, when Christ was on the cross there, they exerted all of the force, all of the power, all of their influence on Christ there on the cross. They exhausted every bit of their power in Christ on the cross and Christ died but then he rose again showing that he is more powerful than sin and death. That having exhausted all of their abilities on Christ, he overcame them. And as we put our faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Saviour, we too died with him on the cross. We died to sin on the cross. And when he rose again, we rose in him to a new life. He is our representative. Remember last week we spoke about Adam and Christ as our representatives? That we all start off in Adam... And because Adam sinned, we are counted as, as sinners ourselves. And the, the proof of that is the fact that all people die. We all die. Death is indeed God's proof that every single person in this world today is a sinner and are condemned because of their sin. 
But in Christ, when we put our faith in Christ, we are spiritually joined to Jesus. Joined in a way where there is, there is no break. We are joined with him. And so what Jesus accomplished on the, through his death and resurrection, it, it, be, it becomes ours by means of being joined with him. Think back to the Old Testament sacrifices. You know, the sinner, they'd bring an animal to, uh, to, the, to the temple or to the, to the tabernacle. They'd bring this animal and they'd bring this animal before the priest and then they would, they would symbolically place their hands on that animal and confess their sin. So in a way, in, in a sense, there was this, this transferal of, of that person's sin to that animal. And then the animal was taken away and it was killed. And it was killed as a substitute for, that, for, the, for the sinful person. The animal shed its blood so that that person could actually walk away free to continue their life. Folks, Jesus is indeed that sacrificial lamb. And the way we put our faith and trust in him is by by we confess our sin. We confess our need for a saviour. And then Jesus dies in our place as our substitute, as our representative for our sins so that they may be completely wiped away forgiven for good and we can be brought into this new and living relationship with God free free from guilt free from condemnation and at that point Paul says in this passage that we died to sin that sin no longer has reign over you anymore. That you don't have you, you don't have to follow its 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 rules and authority and that sort of stuff on your life anymore. You've been set free. You've been taken out from under that yoke of slavery to sin and instead been placed in this new relationship with God. And that's why baptism, and yes, that's a baptism tank underneath the, uh, the Christmas tree there, that's why baptism for us is such, it's so central to our faith. Because in baptism, we've got a, a, a something which we can actually physically look at and see, which is a symbol of a, of a spiritual reality that has already taken place in our lives. There's a person steps into that water in that baptism tank and they go under the water, they're symbolising their death to sin, that they're dying to the old way of life. They're dying to that, that reign of, 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 of sin and death that was over them and as they come up out of that water, cleansed from their sin, they're rising to a new life in Jesus Christ. 
Sadly, for many of us today, we're still living in that state of death. We're still living as though there's this great big black cloud that's hovering over us. We're still living as though this reign of sin is like a puppeteer and there's strings attached to us and we've got no control over it and we're just our arms and our legs and we're just moving as sin directs us. But when Jesus died on the cross, he snipped all of those strings. You know the story of Pinocchio, the wooden boy, and his desire that he wanted to be a real human being? Well, that's what Jesus does for us. He snips the strings and he raises us to a new life in him. And he says, now, he says, I've given you control. I've given you the power through the, through the Holy Spirit living within you to say no to sin, to say no to temptation, and to say, you know what? I don't have to live that way anymore because I'm now a child of God. That way of life has no power and no hold on me anymore. So having died to sin, for Paul then it is inconceivable, yes, images of the princess bride, inconceivable that a person would want to go back and live under its reign. If we've been set free, if you've been... If you've been set free from slavery and this horrible, harsh taskmaster that's been ruling over you, you've been set free from that to, to, to be able to go and live a life that, that truly is a life of, of blessing and joy and, and of, of, of thriving with God, why would we want to keep going back to the slave, to the slave master of sin? And yet we do, day after day after day after day. We keep going back there because it is what we know. And it is what we do is because, unfortunately, we're still in our mortal bodies today. And this, this mortal body gives sin a bridgehead. You know, in a, in, a, in a battle, an army, if they want to actually over, over, uh, overcome a, an opposing force, what they try to do is actually sort of try to, to actually um, gain a, a foothold, a bridgehead, you know, into the, behind the enemy's lines so that they can then use that bridgehead to, to bring more and more people through, to bring more and more forces through to be able to defeat that enemy. These mortal bodies, unfortunately today, folks, they, they're a bridgehead that sin uses in order to keep us defeated, in order to keep us back there under the reign of sin and death. And sadly, we won't be released from these mortal bodies until we actually die a physical death. But Jesus says that having died that, that physical death, you'll be raised to a new life in him where all that stuff will be completely gone. Oh, I look forward to that day. I look forward to that day when I do not have to wrestle with sin and temptation and that sort of stuff in my life anymore. Don't you? Yeah. 
Jesus says we died to sin and having died to sin and been set free from sin, we have now we can now walk in newness of life with our Saviour, Jesus Christ. That newness of life, by the way, isn't some just some patch up renovation job that Jesus does on our lives. You know, I'm not a particularly good handyman. And sometimes when I you know, do a repair on something, it actually looks worse than what, than what it did when it started. Yeah, thanks, Bree. No, when Jesus does his spiritual renewal work in us, we no longer patch up jobs. We're actually new creations. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And that is the newness of life that Paul says that we can walk in. Now the question we should ask ourselves then is if we've died to sin and been given this new life, does that mean that we shouldn't sin anymore? I know some of you are asking that question already in your minds or have been, aren't you? You should try not to sin, that's right. Because in a sense... That's the case. 1 John 3.6 says no one who lives in Christ keeps on sinning. 1 John 3.9 says no one who is born of God will continue to sin. In fact, a person who is truly born again of the Spirit of God, they will have a desire to want to grow in holiness and to no longer live according to the passions and desires of the sinful nature. Will we sin though? Yes, we will. As I said, we will continue to do so because of this body, this mortal corrupted body that we live in. But for the Christian, sin is not something which we now have no control over anymore. And can I say that we sin because we choose to sin? For the Christian living today, we cannot say, I've got no control over sin in my life. That's absolute rubbish. Because we've died to sin. And through the power of the Holy Spirit living within us, we now have the ability to say no to sin and temptation. But we sin because we choose to sin. We sin because we've swallowed the devil's lies that sin will make us happy. We've swallowed the devil's lies that God is not good and that God cannot be believed. That's why we sin, folks. The key to defeating sin begins with knowing that we have died to sin and we've been given this new life. But then what we need to do is we need to apply that. We need to apply this knowledge to our daily living. And that's what Paul talks about in verses 11 through to 14 of our passage today. In verse 11 he says that we should count ourselves dead to sin but alive to God. 
Folks, it begins, first of all, in our minds. It comes down to a mindset. Remember, later on in in chapter 12, Paul will say this in, in chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That word count means, you know, that we, we, it's, it's to be reckoned, it's to be, it's to be credited to our account. We need to remember that. It simply means to believe about ourselves what God has already declared to be true about us. As I said earlier, God does not command us to be dead to sin. He says that we are dead to sin. And so he commands us then to act on it, to live as though that were in fact true in our lives. A number of years ago I attended a, a positive thinking seminar and some might be sort of thinking, well, isn't that just you know, positive thinking in our minds? I've, I've been through all the positive thinking stuff you know, in, you know, way back in, in you know, a number of years ago before I became a Christian because I was searching for meaning in my life. I was searching for purpose. I knew that, that my life wasn't what it should be. And so I was seeking out all these ways to try and find that meaning and purpose for my life. And one of those things led me to this power of positive thinking course. And they said, if you want, what, if you want your life to change, then you've actually got to start f- making that a reality in your mind, first of all. So if you want that red Porsche, you've got to mentally continue to, to, to remind yourself that yes, there's a red Porsche parked in your driveway. And it'll happen. Well, sadly, my red Porsche converted to a white Corolla. <laughs> I mustn't have had enough power of positive thinking. But folks... This whole power of positive thinking is really pie-in-the-sky pie stuff. But what Paul is saying here in Romans 6 is something different because it's already been rooted and grounded in reality of what Christ has done on the cross. And we are to count ourselves, we are to view ourselves in that way. We are to count ourselves dead to sin but alive to God. So when we are tempted by sin, we shouldn't just list it, whip out this list of rules and say, you know, oh, I mustn't do this and I mustn't do that and I mustn't, you know, I mustn't follow this way. Because if I do, then God's waiting up there with this, with this, this big stick to, to beat me around the head and to make my life a misery because I'm living that way. Folks, Trying to, trying to use rules and laws to make us to, to live a certain way of, to, to make us live in a certain way. We know already that doesn't work, don't we? Don't we see it in our world today? Where we continue to legislate for, you know, for, 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 for the behaviour of people and people continue to, to, to fight against that and resist that and just do what they want to anyway? Folks, law does not work. It does not have the power to actually change a person's behaviour. The only thing that can change a person's behaviour is actually uh, what something that takes place in the heart here. And it's a desire first and foremost in their hearts to actually want to live according to that law. That's what changes a person. You parents know that you can threaten your kids and you can have all these laws in your household in order to sort of try to, you know, make your kids behave in a certain way. But if they don't want to, then they won't. 
irrespective of the consequences. And yes, my children have had some, some good hidings before. Does that change a child's heart? No, it doesn't. What changes a child's heart and what makes them want to actually follow a certain way is a desire in their hearts. And that desire comes from the power of the Holy Spirit living within us as followers of Jesus. So we need to remember first and foremost who we are in Christ. Because as we remember who it is that we, who we are in Christ and what he's accomplished for us on the cross, it's that truth and that reality will actually then help us to start living the kind of life that he wants us to. We need to be saying to ourselves, I don't want to live like that anymore because it doesn't fit with who I am in Christ. That's the old me. But I died to sin and I don't want to give into it anymore. I don't want it to reign over my life anymore. Do you want sin reigning over your life anymore? Do you want sin and death as your taskmaster reigning over your life anymore? Jeez, you, you really mean that, don't you? Do you really want sin and death reigning over your life anymore? No, no we don't, do we? Then remember first and foremost who we are, that we are children of God, people who have died to sin and been, and been resurrected to a new life in Jesus Christ. And lastly, and I'll finish with this, it comes down not just to an attitude of mind, but it comes down also to our will. Where Paul says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. We need to, to, we need to recognise that it comes down to who we will offer our bodies to. Who we will offer our bodies to. Will we offer them to God as instruments of righteousness? Or will we offer them to sin as instruments of wickedness? Ultimately, we need to ask ourselves, who do we want to be our master? And folks, that's got to be a continual process, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. And we need to constantly be surrendering our lives and our wills and our bodies to God with the help of his Holy Spirit. That's the process of sanctification. And that's how we will grow in our faith and in our walks with God as we just continually keep doing that. And yes, we will have, we may go two, you know, two steps forward and three steps back. But when we have that three steps back, we need to remember that we can keep walking forwards. And that Jesus will ultimately one day get us to the goal. Because God is not going to give up on you. God will never ever give up on you. The only person who will give up on you is you. God will get you there. Folks, this whole spiritual victory will never be real for us until we make it particular and definite regarding the parts of our body, our, our, our eyes, our ears, 
our hands, our feet, our minds, until we start claiming the reign of God over the various parts of our bodies and surrendering to him, we won't live in that victory. And day by day, we've got to get up, we've got to get out of bed and say, today I am no longer a slave to sin and death, but instead I'm a slave to God and to righteousness. Paul uses a wonderful word when he says to offer ourselves as instruments of righteousness, not instrument. Uh, that, that word "instruments of righteousness" is actually the same word in the in the original language, which is actually used of a weapon. God wants us to be not just instruments of righteousness, but weapons of righteousness. You leave this place today, you walk out there, you are a weapon of God. Isn't that awesome? Marvel superheroes, eat your hearts out. We are weapons of God. And God wants to wield you as such. Not to harm, but to do good. Because you are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer under its power anymore. But you are indeed a child of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have been released from the bondage of sin. That through faith in Jesus Christ we have been placed into this wonderful union with him. And that is not only good news, it is great news. So we pray that you'll help us as followers of Jesus to be people who, whose minds first and foremost are convinced of that fact, are convinced of the knowledge of what Jesus has secured for us through his death and resurrection. But then as a matter of the will, we will, we will determine in our minds and in our hearts to live lives that reflect who we truly are in Christ. And when temptation comes our way, we will say, not anymore. The strings have been cut. I am indeed an instrument of God's righteousness. We praise you, Jesus, for that. Amen.